The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please open to the book of Acts chapter 8. That's where we are this morning. If you don't own a Bible, there are Bibles in the seat backs uh, there, and you can grab one of those, uh, paperback ones, and uh, follow along with us. The scripture will also be on the screen, uh, but as I have said a few times, I don't want you to rely on the scripture being on the screen. Uh, it's good to have the Word of God in front of you, whether digital or analog, and uh, would love to have your eyes looking at the words as I go over them. We're working our way slowly through the book of Acts, and <clears throat> excuse me. Today we're finishing chapter eight. Uh, this is a pivotal time in the history of the church. What we've seen so far, uh, the last couple chapters, is that pressure and persecution is building on the church of God. Uh, Stephen is martyred, uh, the first Christian representative besides Jesus who is killed for the faith. Saul is ravaging the Christian church, and people are being pressed out of Jerusalem to other surrounding towns and villages. And because of that persecution, the gospel, ironically, is also progressing. More and more people in more and more towns are hearing about Jesus, and they are giving their lives to Christ. Um, We see this last week. We saw with Philip. He goes to Samaria, uh, which is one of those places that Jews did not go. But he goes there, and he takes the gospel. Uh, Many people are healed of diseases and of demonic oppression. People give their lives to Jesus, and there's, there's kind of a revival that breaks out in Samaria. We see this man, Simon, who had been practicing the occult uh, magic, and, and he also gives his life to Jesus. And the Great Commission is starting to become reality, right? Jesus said, go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you. And all of that is starting to happen. But what, what we've seen, though, is that it wasn't the apostles during, doing the hard work at this time. Once the church begins to scatter, uh, the gospel is going forward through everyday ordinary people, People like you and I, just everyday, ordinary, if I can use the word average, Christians. The gospel's going forward. Salvation is coming to the world through everyday people, right? How else did we get in this room today, (laughs) right? Someone explained the gospel to us. Someone opened their mouth. They opened their Bible. They showed us Jesus, and that's why we are here. And some of you may not have crossed the threshold of faith yet today, but you're here with someone who cares about you and wants to introduce you to Christ. Every Christian preaches. Now, you may not have a fancy face mic like me, and you might not have a lectern in an 18-inch platform, but every Christian proclaims the Word of God. Every Christian proclaims the gospel with their mouths and with their actions. We demonstrate that Jesus is alive and, and well, and he wants to welcome people into his kingdom. And so chapters 8 through 10 are really all about how God uses everyday, ordinary, average people like us to bring all kinds of unlikely people into the kingdom of God. We saw that with the Sumerians, with Simon. Today we'll see the Ethiopian eunuch. Next week we'll see Saul actually convert to the faith. And uh, chapter 10, we see Cornelius, uh, who's a Gentile, right? So all these unlikely people are starting to come into the kingdom of God. And often, God works through what some would call divine appointments. Divine appointments. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us have experienced a divine appointment in our lives, right? A, a time when you just intersected with someone at a moment in time, and it was a God thing. It was a God moment. 
Uh, even the founding of this church was by divine appointment. Uh, I've s- told some of you the story, but in 2006, I was uh, leading a ministry at another church here in town, and I was compelled uh, that there needed to be a new church planted in this city. And uh, I was only 25. Uh, whew, that was a train wreck. But anyway, I, I went to this church planting conference uh, that was held by the Acts 29 Network. It was a one-day thing in Atlanta. And I get there just a little bit late, so I sit off to the side kind of by myself. Um, and uh, about 10 minutes after I got there, some other guy comes in. He sits on the same row as me. And so during a break, we start talking, and I said, hey, where are you from? And he goes, well, I live in Greenville, South Carolina, but I'm moving to this place called Asheville to plant a church. And I think I literally said, dude, that's where I live. And so we started to share our vision for what a church in the city could be, and almost to the phrase, it was identical, right? It's just one of those divine moments. And so Kurt even called me on the way home, and he was like, dude, it's too, it's spooky the way that we met. And uh, fast forward to 2007, we ended up partnering up. Uh, Kurt Hanna was the lead pastor, founding pastor of Missio Day. I came along for the ride as an elder. And then in 2010, we sent Kurt out to plant again, uh, Missio Day Church Cincinnati. And I became the lead pastor. And I have the privilege just in a couple weeks here to go up to Cincinnati and preach for their 10th anniversary uh, while we celebrate our 14th. And God has just been so gracious. But it's through those kind of divine appointments, those moments in time where he intersects people's lives for the sake of the gospel and the advance of the gospel. And I wonder if you've had one of those. So today we're going to look at a divine appointment. Uh, We're looking at Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to read uh, the whole text. And then uh, I'll pray for us and we'll dive in here. You can follow along as I read Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this, with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Here at Missio Dei, when I read the passage, I say, this is the word of the Lord, or this is the word of God, and then the people respond, thanks be to God. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you uh, with thanksgiving that we, your people, can gather freely and worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we recognize that um, 
It continues to be a, a heavy uh, season as we think about, for instance, uh, the senseless uh, deaths and pain that is ex- being experienced in Afghanistan. We grieve over the loss of so many Afghanis and also our own servicemen, the 13 who perished uh, needlessly uh, over this last week. And, and Lord, we just pray that uh, I know as I've spoken with, with veterans that there's nowhere that they would rather be than right there, right now. And so I thank you for that heart that wants to be there and protect people and, and to, uh, to do what they're called to do. And yet, Lord, we ask that you would bring a quick and, and um, merciful end uh, to this tragedy that's, that's, that's going on right now. We continue to pray for the people of Haiti as they recover from the earthquake, from those who have experienced devastating flooding, and, and yet uh, as well those um, on the Gulf Coast who are bracing for this hurricane. Lord, be kind, be merciful uh, to these people. Lord, as we turn our attention now to the word of God, I pray that you would empower me by your spirit to rightly divide this word. I pray that whatever we're coming in with, whatever pain, whatever grievance, whatever issue, um, whatever's on our hearts and minds, that just for these few minutes, we could sit in your presence, lay those things down at your feet and hear a word of encouragement and challenge from you. And though this passage may seem very disconnected from where some of us are this morning, uh, we need this. And so you have divinely orchestrated for this passage to be preached today, and I pray that it does what you have intended for it to do. By your spirit, through your word, would you minister to us, we ask in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So Philip has fled persecution in Jerusalem. Uh, He went to Samaria, as we saw last week. He's proclaiming the good news. And, and it worked, right? God used it to affect the hearts of people. And now the Spirit has a new assignment for Philip. So the text tells us that an angel of the Lord told him to, to move on. And it could have been a literal angel, but the word angel just means messenger. So it, perhaps there was a, a vision or a dream or some other um, impression. We're not positive about that. But what we do know is that later in this passage, we see the Spirit speaking to Philip. And in both instances, whether it's a messenger, angel, whether it's the Spirit himself speaking to Philip, what is his response both times? What's he do? Class? He goes. He obeys, right? We don't see hesitation. We don't see questioning. We don't see negotiation. We don't see a need for clarification, just obedience. He's prompted by the Spirit, and he goes. Now, I know for some of us that feels crazy, because there's not enough detail. He just said, go, right? He just said, go south, go on this road. He didn't tell him when to go or why to go or what he was going to see on his way or what the traffic was going to be like. He didn't give him any details. And some of you are very nervous about prompting the spirit like that because you're just not sure. And others of you, this is how you got to Asheville. (laughs) You woke up one morning and you felt the spirit say, go, and you're like, okay, and you went, and here you are. Now, I'm not one to tell you whether that was right or wrong or whether you actually heard from the spirit, but my point is this. We need to be people who are listening for the Spirit. If you're a note taker, you can write that down. We need to be people who are listening for the Spirit. The the Spirit leads him to this desert place, which is is just essentially a deserted road. Um, If this was modern day, this would not be the interstate. This is some dirt kind of back road that gets you to the same place, right? Off the beaten path. This is what he's doing. And so he senses this prompting the Spirit, go, go down this road. And he does it, and he meets a chariot, which is, you know, be like 
seeing the presidential motorcade today, like on Sweeten Creek instead of I-26. And you're like, what are you doing here? It's kind of like that. And so he sees this, uh, this chariot, this entourage, and, and here's what we learn about who's in this chariot. Uh, the man is an Ethiopian. Uh, he's African. He's, he's from the continent of Africa. Uh, interestingly, for the Jews, Ethiopia was the end of the earth as far as they were concerned. They didn't know anything beyond uh, what they called Ethiopia, which is not Ethiopia today. It, it's probably more like Sudan, but it's northern Africa. This is as far as they knew the earth went. They didn't know any civilization beyond that. So this man's an Ethiopian. Secondly, we find out he's a eunuch, which is kind of a weird detail, if we're honest, right? Uh, some of you don't know what that is. Please don't Google it. That's all I'm going to tell you. <clears throat> it's a strange detail, but it means this. Either he was celibate or impotent. And the, you see it in the text here. It says um, he was a eunuch, comma, a court official. It's actually the same word. Uh, the word for court, high court official, and the word for eunuch are the same word in the Greek. Uh, because, it's speculated, uh, many eunuchs were high court officials. They were put in charge of um, important and influential women. And it's speculated that the reason that they did that is because they were, quote unquote, safe, right? You didn't have to worry about this eunuch um, running off with your wife or whatever. So, so he's a eunuch. Uh, he serves as treasurer of the queen mother's uh, uh, treasury, her wealth, okay? So he's a very influential person. He's kind of like the, the CFO for the country at that time. We learn that he can read. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah. Now, at this time, not many people could read. To be able to read was actually uh, meant you had a lot of education, and, and he's reading in Hebrew because the scroll, he's got the scroll, the, the Torah, the, or at least the copy of Isaiah, um, it's likely that it's in Hebrew. And finally, he owned a scroll. Like this is, you got to have a lot of money. This is not, you know, you couldn't just own a Bible uh, back then. Not many people owned their own copy of the scriptures. And so here's what we learn about this man. He's got power. He's got influence. He's got education. He's got wealth. And yet, he's searching spiritually. These are often the kind of people that we think are the hardest to bring into the kingdom because they don't sense any need. They, have, they can take care of their own needs. They have money, they have power, they have influence, and yet here's this man searching spiritually. How do we know that he's searching? He's coming back from Jerusalem. This is over a thousand miles from home. Now, Africa, Ethiopia had all kinds of gods and temples, so if he just wanted to worship, he could have worshiped one of those, but there was something compelling about the, the God of the Hebrew Bible. There was something compelling about this God of Israel, and he had to know and so apparently he takes a sabbatical from his work and he has the funding to do this and he travels over a thousand miles, which would have been a month's worth of journey all the way to Jerusalem because he's going to worship at the temple. And probably he didn't know this until he got there. But according to Jewish law, eunuchs are not allowed in the assembly of God's people. So imagine this. This guy, compelled, spiritually hungry, he approaches Jerusalem. He sees the temple in all its magnificence. He's struck with awe. He's ready to learn about this God and to worship him. And as he approaches the temple gates, they go, you can't go any further. Now, I don't know how they checked back then, but you think vaccination cards are going to be a problem, okay? You're not allowed in. You're a eunuch. You, don't, you can't get into the assembly. And so now we find him on his way back from Jerusalem, he was able to worship in the outer 
courts, but he couldn't go in among the people of God. He's an outcast. He's an outsider. And just imagine the, the pain, the turmoil within his heart, the confusion, the tension, right? That I, you know, I traveled all this way to meet God and I, don't, I can't belong to him. I'm, I'm not welcomed in. Imagine that pain and that rejection and that confusion and that turmoil. And yet by God's providence, the Holy Spirit orchestrates this divine appointment with Philip, this meeting on a desert road. The Spirit prompts Philip to approach this man. And we learn something here. We learn something here about the sensitivity to the Spirit that I think that, that all of us can embrace. Because part, the mission of God, like half the battle in the mission of God is just showing up. It's just being available. It's just, just being willing, being um, open to what the Spirit is leading us towards. This is not a thus says the Lord moment. Like I think some of us get nervous about this because we're afraid of blasphemy, right? Attributing things to the Spirit that aren't. And so we don't do anything when we feel those promptings because we're just not sure But listen, listening to the Spirit is a biblical practice. And as long as what you're sensing is not contrary to the Word of God, you you can at least be assured it might be the Spirit. Some of you might be familiar with a a pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He he preached in England some years ago. uh, And he was not what you'd call a charismatic guy in the sense that he, he wasn't super open to the things of the Spirit, right? And yet, this is what he says uh, about leadings and promptings of the Holy Spirit. He says, there's no question that God's people can look for and expect leadings, guidance, and indications of what they are meant to do. If you read the history of the saints, God's people throughout the centuries, and especially the history of revivals, you will find that it is something which is perfectly clear and definite. Men have been told by the Holy Spirit to do something. They knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them, and it transpired that it obviously was his leading. It seems clear to me that if we deny such a possibility, we are again guilty of quenching the Spirit. I think the problem for a lot of us is we just get in our own heads, We say things to ourselves like, well, what if it isn't the Spirit? Or what if I approach someone and say something and and they reject me? Or what if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer? And so when we sense the Spirit leading us or prompting us, we, we we don't do it. And I'd like to flip those questions. I'd like to ask us, what if it is the Spirit? What if the the people you speak to actually accept the message that you have for them? What if what if, the, what if the Spirit gives you words like He promises to do? I get that there's times when we're just not sure. I, I've experienced that myself. One time, um, I had, I'm, I'm, not, I'm sure I dream more than I remember, but I woke up one morning uh, and had, had, had a very vivid dream about a friend from high school. And, um, and this person was, was in a lot of pain and sort of spiritual darkness and in the dream, I, I talked to them and sort of prayed for them or whatever, and they, for, as far as I remember, came, came to faith in, in Christ. And so it was so compelling, so um, vivid that I, the next morning, hadn't talked to this person in like 20 years, 
uh, but we're friends on Facebook. So I, I reached out in a Facebook message and I said, hey, I know this is weird, but I, you know, is there anything going on? Like, you okay? Are you, is there anything I can pray for you about? All that. And um, you know what happened? They said, I'm fine. Nothing's going on. Please don't do this again. <laughs> okay. But see, when I stand before the Lord, I would rather, when, when he lays out everything I've done, right? When, when, when all our deeds are, are sort of shown before us, he's going to go, hey, you did this and you did this. And then you did some stuff over here I didn't even ask you to do, but that's kind of cool. And I would rather face the Lord and say, you know, I wasn't sure if it was you, but I would rather just have done what I thought you would do or have me to do. Right? Rather than to have a moment where, hey, I teed this up for you and you miffed it. You didn't do it. And so can we be, can we be, be a people who lean towards taking the risk instead of hesitancy, right? Not, not to be uh, crazy, not to be um, irreverent, but to be sensitive to what the Spirit might be prompting us towards. If we sense that God might be prompting us to pray for someone, to reach out to someone, to talk to someone, to text them or call them, ask them how they're doing, to share the gospel with them, why not? Why not? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? So listening to the Spirit. But secondly, we've we got to be people who start with the Scripture. This is what we see with Philip, that he starts with the Scripture. You guys hanging in? Look with me at verse 30. Philip ran to him. So, this, so the Spirit says, go over to the, join this chariot. And he's like, okay. And he runs to the chariot. Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? That could be a dangerous question. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. This is from Isaiah chapter 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent, he, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip approaches the chariot, which, you know, is something you wouldn't do unless the Spirit prompted you. It'd be like going up to a tour bus at the Orange Peel and just being like, do you know Jesus? Right? You wouldn't do that unless the Spirit prompted you. Maybe some of you would, but you're crazy. So, so he approaches the chariot, and he hears this man reading the, the scriptures out loud. Now, this is a common practice. When you read, you would read out loud, reading to yourself was not something really practiced in that day. And he notices that it's, it's the scroll of Isaiah, but he's still not sure why he's there, right? He has no idea. The Spirit said, go. He goes. He hears Isaiah being read, and so he has no idea. So he asks a reasonable question. Do you understand it? Are you able to make sense of this? Does it, are you following along? And I just want to point out here the, the incredible humility and the vulnerability of this eunuch, this Ethiopian to say, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't get it. Can you help me? How can I without a guide? How can I without someone explaining it to me? And now Philip knows why he's there. Oh yeah, I got this. All right, spirit help me, but here we go. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Um, this eunuch, man, he could have said like, hey, I'm fine. I'll figure it out. <laughs> How many of us would have done that? 
Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm searching, but this is my own personal thing. I don't need help. I'm, I'm, I'm on a journey. I'll figure it out. I'm smart. I've got Google, you know. Um, apparently, on social media, we're all experts now. We're experts in global pandemics. I don't know if you knew this. We're experts in military strategy. Uh, that comes along with your Facebook account, I think, these days. So we're smart. We can figure stuff out on our own. We don't need help. And so many of us are so prideful, we will not admit that spiritually we're kind of idiots. But some of you remember those days, right? Like, I remember very early on coming into a church, and I, I kid you not, this is kind of how dense I was. The pastor would be like, hey, turn to John. And I'm like, which one's John? Where, where, where is he sitting? Like, I didn't, oh, you mean the gospel of John. I don't know where that's at, right? And some of you are there today, and I'm glad you're here. We want to help you. We don't want you to feel ashamed because you don't know where to find the book of Acts, okay? But look how God teed this up. Uh, if, if half of the battle in God's mission is showing up, the other half is opening up. Opening up the Bible and opening up our mouths. That's what, that's what he does here, right? Philip is not a Bible expert, and you don't have to be either. But, he, but, but this thing's teed up for him, all right? The passage is open to Isaiah 53, which has to be, in all the Old Testament, maybe the most softball passage to get to Jesus of anything. He, didn't, he wasn't reading Lamentations, right? He wasn't reading about Elisha and the she-bear, he, he, he wasn't reading about Nehemiah pulling some dude's hair out. Like, those are a little harder to get to Jesus from, <laughs> okay? But this is Isaiah. This, this is like the passage of the suffering servant that Jesus himself uses and says, this is about me. That This one who came uh, to, and was rejected by his own people who had no former majesty among him, but yet it, it was, he, he, he was pierced for our transgressions, that our, our, uh, our sins and iniquities were laid, out, laid on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Like, this is all about the gospel. It's teed right up for him. And not only that, the question is sort of teed up. Do you notice this? This is almost like reverse evangelism. Uh, the, the Ethiopian is the one who goes, hey, who's this passage about? Is this about the prophet, or is this about, like, somebody else? Is this about somebody greater, essentially, is what he's asking. Can you imagine that? Like Philip didn't have to go, hey, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm going to explain it. He goes, hey, is this, a, is this about someone else? Like it's just right there. I had some uh, friends in England who, <laughs> uh, they were both far from Jesus. And, uh, and simultaneously, they both started feeling compelled towards the things of God. Um, and, uh, and so uh, the, the wife, one of her coworkers, I think she asked her for a Bible because she knew she was a Christian. So she got a Bible and they started reading the Bible. And they were like, oh, I don't know how to make sense of this. And so then they asked this woman, hey, where do you go to church? And she told them, and they went to the church and they found the vicar's you know, residence and they knocked on his door and they were like, can you tell us how to meet Jesus? <laughs> Reverse evangelism. Wouldn't that be amazing if somebody came to your house and were like, hey, can you tell me how to be saved? That'd be awesome. This is what's happening. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch is basically saying, hey, wh wh what do I need to do here? And so what does Philip do when he asks this question? Who's this about? This one who suffered this one who was humiliated, this one who suffered injustice, this one who was killed for the sake of his people. Who's this about? What's Philip do? Does he go, uh, I don't know, man. Let's go talk to my pastor. <laughs> Does he say, you know what? Let's look it up on Wikipedia. No, he explains it. Verse 35, begin, he, Philip opened his mouth and beginning 
with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus himself did, isn't it? There was another road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and there were a couple of guys walking on that road after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, and they weren't sure what had been happening. And Jesus walks up to them in his resurrected body, and he says, um, hey guys, what are you talking about? And they're like, what, have you been like in a cave for three days? What, everybody knows what's going on. And they started to tell him about himself, and, but they couldn't see that it was him. And so Jesus himself opens, it says he starts with Moses and all the prophets, and he told them everything in the scriptures concerning himself, because the whole Bible is about Jesus. From beginning to end, it's all about Jesus. Every story, Sally Lloyd-Jones says, whispers his name, right? And so that's what, that's what our boy Philip does. However, we don't know which scriptures he started with. We, I mean, we know what he started with, but we don't know which scriptures he used. But if it says he started with this scripture and explained to him, then it follows that he probably used other scriptures. We just don't know which ones they were. But I do know this. Homeboy had the prophet of Isaiah, the scroll. That's probably the only thing he had. And so I, I picture it this way. Perhaps he starts with Isaiah 53, and he's showing him how Jesus is this suffering servant who was marred and beaten and bloodied and pierced for our transgressions, and by his wounds we are healed. And then he says, hey, listen, let me, let me show you how, how much of Isaiah actually talks about Jesus. And he rolls it back to chapter 1, when God is angry at the sin of his people who are, who are worshiping him, but their hearts are far from him. They're going to church, but they're not engaged and they've given themselves to all kinds of other things. And he says, but there's a day coming when I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your sins, which are like scarlet, and I'm going to make them white as snow. Maybe he went to Isaiah chapter 6 and this vision that the prophet Isaiah has about the glory and the holiness and the majesty of God and Isaiah himself confessing his own sin. Right? Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm among a people of unclean lips. And yet... God shows up and, and touches his heart and his mouth and, 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 and purifies him and then sends him. Maybe he, he took him to Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11, all these prophets, uh, all these prophecies about the, the coming Messiah and how he'd come as, a, as an infant, a light into the darkness and, and, and how he would grow and how the government would be upon his shoulders and he would be the one who brings justice and equity and righteousness and, 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 and cleanses the earth and, and renews the earth. Maybe he took him to Isaiah 35 when it says that the promised one would, would restore the joy of his people. Or maybe Isaiah 40 when he says he, he'll, he'll bring comfort. But I have to believe, I have to believe that he would have taken him to Isaiah 56. Remember, this man's an Ethiopian eunuch who has tried to worship at the temple and he's been cast out because he doesn't belong. He can't get in. He's not allowed into the assembly. And I have to believe that Philip opened up Isaiah 56 and he read him this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. Just imagine this, this eunuch with the pain of rejection, not belonging, questioning, where do I fit? Where does God 
in all this. And then here comes Philip and explains to him, God loved you so much that he sent his only son from heaven to earth to live a life of perfection and sinlessness that you could never live. And more than that, Jesus died in your place for your sins. He, he was crucified taking all the weight of your guilt and shame upon himself. And, and he was buried. And on the, third days he on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell for you so that you could be forgiven. And, and that this promise that, that, yes, you're a eunuch, but you have a heritage and, and a lineage that goes beyond just blood family. You belong to the family of God, and you will have an everlasting and eternal family to belong to. Can you imagine what that would have been like for this eunuch? So here's my question for us. Could we start with the scriptures and lead someone through the gospel? Again, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a professional Christian. You have to be open and willing. Someone did that for you. Someone who cared about you and loved you, just an everyday average ordinary Christian, opened their mouth and opened their Bible and they showed you who Jesus was. And God used it to bring you to salvation. Could you do that for someone else? Would you be willing to do that for someone else? And look, maybe you're here today and you're, you're like this Ethiopian. And you've got all kinds of questions and you're just, you're wrestling with, you know, is God real or how do I follow him? And what does it mean? I have all these questions about salvation and, and, um, and what it means to, to, to be in Christ and, and all this kind of stuff. And I would encourage you, I'd implore you, um, continue to attend regularly the gathering of the saints under the authority of the Word of God. You will learn, especially as we go expositionally through the Bible, as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you will learn text and context and you will grow. But you need more than just this guy on a platform. You need community. You need other people around you. So I, I would encourage you to jump into a community group or a, a, one of our Bible studies or even uh, Alpha, which is a new ministry we're starting up that allows you in a safe environment to just ask questions about God. We'll have some more information about these things coming up at, at the end of the gathering. Starting with the scripture. All right, I got a few minutes to finish this last point. You guys hanging in? Here we, one of you is. Awesome. Okay. For the rest of you, uh, it's going to be a little bit. Uh, verse 36, we're going to see the mission continue. Continuing the mission, I think is how I wrote it down. If you're a note taker, continuing the mission. Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Philip has followed the prompting of the Spirit, He's befriended this man on the road, and he has explained to him the gospel through the scriptures. And maybe it was a moment like those guys in Acts chapter 2 when Peter's proclaiming the gospel, and the men say to him, they're cut to the heart, remember that? And they go, what must we do to be saved? Maybe this man in the chariot says to Philip, okay, what, what must I do to be saved? And Philip says to him, uh, repent of your sin, turn away from yourself your sin, turn to Jesus. Receive what Jesus has done for you with the empty hands of faith. And be baptized as a sign that you, you truly do believe this. You belong, 
right? This is a sign of death to your old life and new life in Christ, your identity with him. Simple trust, simple surrender, and simple and immediate obedience. So the eunuch sees water on the horizon as they're traveling and goes, hey, stop, stop, stop. This is like a, oh, brother, where art thou moment? You know, if you remember that movie, he's like, oh, here's water. I hear the sirens call. Let's go down to the river and be baptized. What prevents me from being baptized? You notice that it's not Philip pressuring the eunuch to be baptized. This man of his own volition is saying, I believe, and won't you affirm that? What, is there anything hindering me from being baptized? See, he's going back to Africa. There likely aren't any other converts to Christianity yet. And so he can't baptize himself but he recognizes the importance of this step of obedience. And so he says, what must I do? Right? Can I be baptized? Will you baptize me? And so they stop the chariot. They get out. They go down to the water. Though surrender to Christ is an individual act. You personally have to surrender your life to Jesus. Faith is not purely private and individual. Baptism is a public act. It's a communal act where the whole community gathers around to to affirm and to celebrate that, that you have new life in Christ. And uh, this man is so struck by the gospel, he wants to do it right away. They stop everything in order to baptize him. And, and for any of you in the room who have trusted in Christ, but you have not yet been baptized, my question to you is simply, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? We have a baptism coming up September 19th. If you feel compelled that the Lord wants you to take that step of identifying publicly with Jesus by baptism, I would love for you uh, to take that next step, and we can talk about that. The 19th of September is when it's coming up. So this eunuch, he's baptized. The mission is completed. The purpose of this divine appointment has been fulfilled. And so the Spirit takes Philip away. Um, there's debate as to whether or not this is a miracle. Because when you read it in the text, it feels like he just got sort of like beamed up. Scotty just, and then he's off in this other land. And that may or may not be true. If it is, awesome. Um, but it could be just as easily explained by the fact that the Spirit prompted him to stay where he was and let the chariot go on. And then he walked to the next town, which is only 20 miles away. <laughs> Either way, he ends up in this place called Azotus. And there he continues to preach the gospel. He ends up in uh, in Caesarea. And actually, the last time we see Philip was in, is in Acts chapter 21. We'll get there one day before the Lord returns, hopefully. Uh, and in Acts chapter 21, Paul and Luke, all went on a missionary journey, they stay with Philip in Caesarea. And, and so part of me just wonders, as Luke, the historian, is writing this account, he's, he's interviewing firsthand witnesses, right? If they get to Philip's house and he's like, hey, Phil, you got any stories? And Phil's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, let me tell you about Samaria. Let me tell you about Simon. Let me tell you about this Ethiopian guy I met, right? And he tells him, and that's maybe how we, how we got this, but that's just my speculation. We see the Great Commission. As I said earlier, he's, he's going. Philip went. He made disciples. He baptized them. He taught them, and, and God proved that he was with him. And brothers and sisters, the same promise is for you and me today, right here, right now in 2021. He's with us, and he sends us to go. You don't have to have... <laughs> As my friend Tony says, you don't have to have uh, God spell out the, the person's name in your cereal to go share the gospel with them. You've already been told by Jesus to go. So this Ethiopian returns home. He's rejoicing that he now belongs to Jesus. He now belongs to the family of God. And um, this is an important note. It's, it, it's been speculated uh, that this man is the first African convert 
this Ethiopian, perhaps is the first convert to Christianity uh, in the world uh, from the continent of Africa. And uh, we don't know what happened to him. Uh, Irenaeus speculated that he, he became a missionary to his own people, which is likely, uh, probable, but we don't really have hard evidence for that. But here's what I do know. Um, this man, this, this simple act of obedience to the prompting of the Spirit is at least in part responsible for the explosion of the gospel in the continent of Africa. By the year 1900, there were 9 million Christians on the continent of Africa. By the year 2000, it had grown to 380 million Christians in the continent of Africa. By 2018, 631 million Christians on the continent of Africa. The gospels continued to exponentially explode there. And it all started with one simple prompt from the Holy Spirit. One simple divine appointment was, is at least partially responsible for half a billion Christians on this planet. What would one simple step of obedience to a prompting of the Spirit accomplish for the kingdom of God? Brothers and sisters, God is still on the move today. He's on the move in Africa. He's on the move in China. He's on the move in Afghanistan. I saw a report just yesterday, a house church movement. Before all this chaos started happening, they had about 320 people in their house church movement. Today, there are 2,500 who are part of this movement in just the last couple weeks because when the pressure gets turned up, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. It's growing and expanding even amongst persecution and pain and death. That's what the gospel does. You and I are part of that. The kingdom of God is still expanding. God is still on the move in Africa, in Afghanistan, in Asheville, in Western North Carolina, and to the ends of the earth. What, what part is he calling you to play in that? So instead of questions today, here's what I want to do. I just want to take a few minutes and I want you to reflect on what God might have said to you through this sermon. Um, for some of you, it's, it's going to be a question of, is there a divine appointment? Is there a prompting from the Spirit that I've been neglecting? Have I sensed the Lord leading me to reach out to someone, to talk to them, to pray for them, to call them, to text them, and I just wasn't sure if it was him and I've hesitated? For some of you, it may be a step of obedience you need to take. Some of you need to cross that threshold of faith. You need to move from darkness to light, from death to life. You need to repent and you need to trust in Christ today. For others of you, it needs to, it's maybe that step of baptism, that the Lord is prompting you to take that next step of obedience and to be baptized. For others, it's just simply getting involved in the community, being a part of the community, having other people around you to help you make sense of the scripture, to grow in your faith. I don't know what the Lord's prompting you to today, but I want to give you just space for a minute to listen um, and to ask the Lord to, to, to reveal you if there's anything he wants you uh, to do in, in regards to uh, reflecting on and obeying what you've heard in this sermon. I'm going to pray for you. We'll have a moment of silence, and then the band's going to return, lead us in a couple songs, uh, and then uh, I'll come back up, give us a few final announcements and a benediction. Father, thank you for your word. It is living and active. And I thank you for the stories that we have, these historical accounts of how your spirit and your word have affected people. Thank you for the courage of Philip and his obedience to you to go when you called him. Thank you for the humility and the vulnerability of the Ethiopian to say, help me make sense of this. And I thank you for the way that the gospel has continued to move forward uh, through Samaria, through Judea, through Caesarea, through 
the continent of Africa um, and all the way to the, the ends of the earth, which are the U.S. Here we are as followers of Jesus 2,000 years later because people were obedient to the promptings of the Spirit, opened their Bibles, opened their mouths. And we pray that that continues through us, through Asheville, through Western North Carolina, and to the uttermost places. Help us, Lord, to be obedient. Help us to listen well. And I pray that we would just surrender ourselves to you right now, whatever that means, whatever you're calling us to, to faith, to baptism, to community, to picking up the phone or walking across the street. Help us, help us. May you be glorified as we respond to you now, I pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.